Uh, that's it for announcements. I want you uh, turning your Bibles to Hebrews 11, if you have a Bible or your electronic device. This morning, uh, we're also going to be praying for the Seacrest family, and I don't want to look their way. Uh, man, it's been, it's been a blessing. So we were uh, having lunch yesterday and just uh, reminiscing a little and was praising the Lord for them to realize, like, oh, they've been with us almost seven years. And so for us, if we're at 20 years as a church, they've been with us a third of that time um, and really just become, you know, friends that became family. And um, I think about Paul's words to the, the church in Thessalonica, the first letter, it's the second chapter. I think it's around the eighth verse. And, and he talks about how not only did they share in the gospel together, you know, just in terms of the ministry, but he says um, that they had become very endeared to him because they shared their lives together. And so, thank you guys. We love you. We're going to miss you tremendously. Um, you know, our saying here, right, is that families are made at the foot of the cross and uh, you're CCOK family forever. And, uh, and you haven't gotten rid of us. You certainly haven't gotten rid of me. So, like a ugly toenail fungus, right? Just, we're always going to be there, so we'll be praying for you guys. This morning, as we're in Hebrews 11, uh, it is one of those passages and verses, actually, where uh, just so rich, and so uh, it is a one-verse Sunday. <laughs> we haven't had one of these in a while, but with communion and just the richness of this verse, uh, we thought, I would, thought I'd just camp here for a little bit, unpack the fullness of it. So verse 4, Hebrews 11, verse 4. If you're there with me, I invite you to stand as we honor the Lord and the scriptures. We'll be praying for the Seacrest as well. So this one verse, we're told, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which, so through that sacrifice and by faith he obtained witness that he was righteous and God testifying of his gifts and though or excuse me and through it he being dead still speaks All right. we're going to pause right there one verse we'll pray we'll pray for our time we're going to pray for the secrets Father, we thank you so much for this morning, again, the blessing that we can gather together. We thank you for your love and your grace, your goodness in our lives. Lord, we thank you for how it's manifested in so many ways. Lord, even manifested in the rain. Uh, the crops needed and the land needs that the farmers rejoice, Lord. It's your grace upon sinner and believer and unbeliever alike. Lord, we thank you for, for your goodness to us and these various things. And Lord, especially through the relationships that you bring into our lives. And Lord, we're grateful for the Seacrests. We're going to miss them tremendously, how they've become so dear to us, Lord. Father, I ask that you would bless them in every way. Lord, we thank you for providing for their family as they move back to the States and to uh, well, even, Lord, we don't even know, Texas or Oklahoma, but, Lord, we pray that wherever it may be, that you would bless them beyond, uh, Lord, what they could imagine. 
And Father, we pray that you'd help them find a great church community and just neighborhood and friends and Lord, and all of that as we pray so often, we know as much as you have something uh, for mom and dad, Lord, you have, you have something for the kids too. And so Lord, bless the secrets, we pray. And Father, we ask that as we read your word this morning, as we impact this one verse, that you might fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom. Lord, that you might grant us spiritual understanding. And Lord, not just to have head knowledge, but Lord, that that would translate into uh, us being transformed, that we might walk worthy of you, to be fully pleasing you, Lord, to be fruitful in every good work. And Lord, that we would be strengthened in your might according to your glorious power to the glory of God. And so we thank you for our time this morning. Speak to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Would you take a moment and say hello to someone, and then you may have a seat. You okay? Oh. You me daijobu? You good? Okay. Anyone who knows me well knows that I am a slow thinker. Maybe you don't have to know me that well. If you've just been at church for a little bit, you'll know that I'm a slow thinker. Uh, I'm not a deep thinker. I'm not a fast processor of information. Um, I don't know that I have a hamster wheel, if you will, you know, running around in my brain. It's more of a sloth, uh, just kind of moving. <laughs> And so I'm a slow thinker, and I, I, I don't do well with abstract concepts. I, uh, I, I'm a person that I, I think I need a lot of pictures, I need a lot of analogies. Uh, I like the phrase, <clears throat> explain it to me like I'm a, not even a five-year-old, explain it to me like I'm a three-year-old, you know. Um, and it helps me to understand. I mean, growing up, remember those pop-up books? Do they still make those? You know, open the page and kind of have a 3D thing or... That pull tabs or scratch and sniff, like that, that was my that was my library. Like that's that's where I could resonate from. I needed I needed manipulatives and tangibles, you know, and pictures. And uh, and I, I say that because it, it it's one of the reasons that I love the Bible. You know, God's word is is rich enough and it is deep enough. It is uh, complex and it has enough, you know, ex expanse enough to challenge the greatest of minds and intellects, uh, and that's many of you, but it's also simple enough and it's straightforward enough. It's, it's like a, a pop-up book, if you will, right? It's filled with examples of people and places, of, of situations, of symbols that help us to understand or help people like me to better understand God's truths. In the first three verses of chapter 11, the author of Hebrews has provided us a working definition of faith, specifically faith in God. And as way of a little bit of review, we talked about how you know, faith is our foundation. Faith is like one of our five senses, but it's spiritual. And it gives us a handle to hold on to, to what what God has declared, and what God has promised. Uh, it allows us to see and allows us to believe beyond the limitation of our, of our physical sight and of our physical senses. You know, we talked about how faith is, 
is uh, in, in many ways like a girding that holds us firm beyond the storms of life. Right? It fills the gap between what we know to be true about God and what we may experience in a moment or in a season, especially when there's a disconnect between what we know about the Lord and what we are, are you know, experiencing in a moment. Um, faith doesn't disregard reason, but I would suggest to you or argue with you that it transcends it. It moves us past reason. And, and often what happens, right, the greater the gap between our expectations and reality, like you have an expectation that's here and then all of a sudden reality falls short of that, usually in that, that gap is the, the greater the gap, the greater the potential for discouragement or doubt. You had high hopes for something, but what came was not that. It, it was very short of what you were wanting or hoping, expecting, or even praying for. And often we can find ourselves disappointed and disgruntled, dismayed. You know, sometimes it's the smallest of things. I remember years ago going to this place uh, here in Okinawa, and uh, I ordered a burrito. I was really excited. 800 yen burrito, so I thought, okay, this is going to be good. And, uh, and what came out, though, was uh, reminded of me uh, when I was in college when I would buy you know, these, these little one microwave burritos, uh, and I'd wait till there was a special. They're like four for a dollar. That, that was, that was the, uh, I, I could have sworn, like, that's the same burrito from when I was in college, right? And certainly not worth 800 yen in my opinion. And they didn't even microwave it all the way through. It was still cold in the middle. <laughs> and so I had high, high hopes, but what came was very, you know, very short of that. And, and, I, and, I, and I was disappointed. I was highly disappointed and kind of just sat there in my depression over my burrito. Listen, that space can, uh, can disappoint us and get us down and disgruntle us. But, but at the same time, it's also a space for faith. It's also that same space where in our lives, when we have these high hopes and something hasn't happened, that, that God fills that space and we can trust the Lord in a greater way in that gap, in whatever that gap may be. See, faith provides us with understanding that God is good. And He is good today, He's good tomorrow, and guess what? Because he's, He was good in the past. And so the writer reminded, of us, reminded us that, that the Lord was faithful in the past. And how, like how the world was made. And so, because of God's faithfulness in the past, we can be assured of His faithfulness today and tomorrow. And so it's a gift that God gives us, the gift of faith. And it's a way that we're called to walk in. We're called to walk by faith. And we talked about how faith is not static, but it's dynamic. It can be grown, it can be strengthened, it can be deepened. And so the writer has been writing about this, to trust the Lord, to trust God at his word, to grow in that, all in greater ways. Now, having provided this explanation for us, the writer now turns to examples. It, it becomes the pop-up version, if you will. We get then to see faith in action. It's faith defined in the first three verses, and from verse 4 and on, it's going to be faith demonstrated for us. What does it look like? 
Now, this chapter is often called the Hall of Faith. It's where we get to read and be reminded of Old Testament biographies. And we noted last week, if you're with us, that the highlight of these individuals wasn't necessarily their their great acts of valor or feats of heroism, but rather it was their great trust of a great God. And, And each person that's highlighted, both the men and the women, in the situation that they're in, it, it's introduced by this little phrase, by faith. And so the writer draws our attention to these examples. And by faith, it's faith in God is the highlight of this chapter. And, and really the overarching point or the main point that the writer is trying to make is that if these people, real people, who were not perfect and had real struggles in their life could trust God and trust His Word, and trust His promises, and trust His work, and experience the victories and the blessings that they did, then anyone can. We can too. Because you and I, were just as jacked up. We're, we're just as prone to wander. We're just, you know, we make mistakes, and we can blow it big time. But God is faithful. And so by His grace and by faith, you and I can experience the same outcomes, the same blessings, by trusting the same God and trusting His Word too. And so in our time this morning and through the next uh, couple of weeks, we're going to consider the testimonies of these individuals. And this morning, as I read, it's just the first one. It's the first of several. And we're going to look at their life and look at Abel's life, if you will, and you know, and in each of them kind of highlight an area that speaks to our life, our worship and our walk and our work and our future and our family and our family plans. And so I pray that you'll be encouraged this morning as we consider Abel and faith in worship and faith in our giving. So I draw your attention back to verse 4. We read just that first part where it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. The first guy that the writer notes is Abel, and he starts then with the first family. You might know this, Adam and Eve, the book of Genesis, we read how they, created by God, and it didn't take them too long after they made a mess of things tempted in the garden, and they fell into sin. And they messed up their life, if you will, in that season, and they got evicted from paradise because of sin. And then we read that soon after that, that uh, they started a family. And children came after the fall, and starting with them in that generation, Fast forward in every generation to our generation, right? We all have been born into a corrupted world because of sin, all born with a sin nature. We battle against our flesh. You know, I, I know that we like to think that we're born angels, and, uh, and it seems like that for the first year or so until they turn two. Right? Then you don't need a theological degree to know that we're born sinners, just go volunteer in the toddler class, you know, right? Filled with adorable, cute, little sinners. You know? 
Cain and Abel were uh, the first two sons born. And, and you can read their whole account in Genesis 4. But Genesis 4 tells us that Abel was the keeper of sheep and Cain was a farmer. And it happened to be on this one day that the brothers came and they brought an offering to the Lord. And we read that Cain, who's a farmer, he brought, if you will, a a fruit and veggie tray. And Abel brought steaks. And they brought them before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that the Lord accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's offering. Now, I'm going to get to uh, the idea as to why. Genesis doesn't tell us why. It just gives us the fact of what happened. And we know what happened afterwards is that Cain is bummed. He's disgruntled. He's dismayed. And he gets angry. And God, I would say, in his grace, approaches Cain, engages him, and basically says, Hey, bud, why so glum, chum? What's going on with you? And he says, if you would do well, would you not be accepted? But if you, do, if you don't do well, know that sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. He says, but you should rule over it. Have mastery over that. You know, sin had corrupted creation again and because of Adam and Eve and just like his parents, Cain had a choice to make to give in to this sinful desire or to turn from it and do the right thing. Well, you know the rest of the story. Cain does not do the right thing. He allows anger to take over. And he then in turn kills his brother. He murders his brother Abel. Now, the writer of Hebrews here in chapter verse 4 goes back to these two brothers and highlights something that Abel did and provides an insight that Genesis doesn't give us. See, Genesis doesn't tell us directly why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's. And there's a lot of speculation as to why. And I think there's nothing wrong with having some Bible-based conjecture. It's good. We want to try to unpack and understand what's going on. And I think there can be a lot of strong support to what I believe is the prevailing theory. And there's other thoughts, and you can Google it and research it later. But the obvious difference between the two was what was offered. One was from crops, and the other one was from flocks. And so based upon just that difference, some would look at that and, you know, the One might just say, well, God preferred steak over salad, right? Who doesn't? (laughs) It's like when I go to Yakiniku with some friends and and they just put vegetables on the grill. That happened yesterday. (laughs) Like, you're desecrating the grill with your vegetables. Get it off of there. Like, I no, I don't think so. I don't I don't necessarily think that God prefers carne asada and he says, you know, get that corn out of my face, right? I don't think. And so some note the difference between the offerings themselves and they would suggest, oh, well, 
God preferred the animal sacrifice, not because he likes steak better than vegetables, but the idea that that the animal sacrifice, it pointed forward, right? It's a, it's a prophetic picture that points forward to Christ, to the Lamb of God by His blood who would take away the sins of the world. And, and they make this great argument to say that God had established this standard that even when mom and dad, Adam and Eve, who they themselves blew it, right? They sinned. And what do they try to do? Well, they try to cover their sin with their own works. They took fig leaves, and they, the Bible says they sewed clothes for themselves. They hid from God, and they try to you know, cover um, their nakedness. God would approach them and engage them. He would confront their sin. Of course, they would confess their sin. But their covering of their own works wasn't adequate. And so the Bible says that, that God provided a covering for them. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says that, Then also for Adam and his wife the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. And so based upon that verse, and I agree, right, it infers that an animal sacrifice was made. An innocent life of an animal was sacrificed to cover for their sins and thus establishing an expectation, a picture certainly, that points us forward to Christ. And so there are those who would say, oh, that's why God preferred Abel's sacrifice over Cain's. Because Cain didn't bring an animal. God didn't accept his offering. Now, gang, that's very possible, and it makes sense to me. But we're not told that directly. It doesn't say that it was the offering itself that made Abel's a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's. And just because maybe I prefer beef and chicken over broccoli and kale doesn't necessarily mean that God does. So verse 4, though, then gives us some insight. It reveals something important. And here's what I want to suggest to you. That verse 4 doesn't necessarily focus on what was offered, but how it was offered the manner in which it was offered. And I want to suggest to you that that is the factor of why it made it greater. It was by faith that Abel offered to God. It was by faith. And so the point that I I, I want to make and submit is that God is honored more by how we approach Him in worship than by what we bring to Him. God is more honored by how we come to Him in our worship, in our giving, in our offering, than what we bring to Him. Now, did God prescribe animals and different types of sacrifices? Yes, He did. But the emphasis was upon the quality of those sacrifices. It was to be the firstborn. Remember, it had to be the perfect sacrifice. There was an inspection process. But also offer to you or argue with you that God also accepted and ordained grain offerings and the first fruits of the land and even drink offerings. The emphasis in the Old Testament was upon the quality of the offering. Why? Because God's bougie, right? He has expensive taste. No. I want to submit to you that it's because God knows our hearts. 
And, and we can, I think by default, we can tend to keep the best things for ourselves and we give the leftovers to the Lord. Or we give the leftovers to others. And so when it comes then to offering things by faith, right, what we give and how we give, it produces insight to our own hearts. We've talked about this before. But please don't get me wrong here. It's good to give to others, and it's good to be generous with your things. Right? We, we as a church want to cultivate a joyful generosity. Right? To be generous as the Lord would lead. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. But for a moment, think about what we usually give, though. Or maybe I'll say it this way, if you're like me. If you're like me, we usually give the things that we don't really need anymore. We've outgrown it, or it's no longer useful, we got a new one, we have this old one, and it's still pretty good, and so that's the thing that we typically give away, or it's like, oh, well, I'm either going to throw it away, or maybe I can give it away. And again, don't get me wrong, nothing wrong with that. You know, sometimes people will call us up, and they'll want to donate items, and we're happy to take them. PCSing, you know, some stuff, like we're, the missionaries here and others, they'll, they're happy to take it, but, but sometimes we've had the people call up and say, hey, I have this old car. It doesn't run. It has a missing tire, but it's for the Lord. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Again, I'm not saying that it's bad. We want to be givers, but my point is that we tend, if you're like me, tend to give towards the lesser when we give, not the greater. The sacrifice that Abel made to God was accepted by God, not, not on the merit of the physical content, not on based on what it was, but it was accepted by God because it was offered by faith. It was a, a genuine expression of worship and an obedient heart. Several times throughout the Old Testament, you come across a variation of this statement where God says, I take no pleasure in the offering of rams or goats. It's not your burnt offerings that, that I'm really after. Isaiah 1.11, 1 Samuel 15.22. Is God pleased with the fat of calves? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. That, those things are a means in which the Lord then develops our faith. Psalm 40, verse 6 through 8, sacrifices you did not desire. The psalmist says, but I delighted to do your will. And so this, this theme runs from the Old Testament also into the New Testament, that when it comes to what we offer to God, God's not primarily interested in the material content but rather he's interested in your heart. What's going on in the inside of you? And so the distinction I submit was not in the offer, or excuse me, not in the sacrifices offered, but the distinction was in the sacrificers of how Abel came to God by faith and that Cain did not. And that is why I believe when God approaches Cain, 
he says, if you would do well, then you would be accepted. Abel's worship was received because he gave it by faith in obedience to the Lord. You get to the New Testament, there's these two scenes in the New Testament. Jesus gives a commentary. One, one is when he's with Martha and Mary. He's hanging out at their house. And, and Mary takes a, a very expensive jar of perfume and, and, and breaks it on purpose. She anoints the Lord. The disciples who are watching this immediately criticize her. They criticize her act of worship. And their, comment, their commentary is, it's a waste. What a waste. You know how much money that was worth? You, you know what you could have done with that money? How many mouths you could have fed? How much better things could have been spent with that? If you remember the account, Jesus quickly defends her. And he says that what she did actually had greater eternal value. Why? Because she acted in faith. It was an expression of love. It was an expression of worship, of loving devotion. Even though it was super expensive. Contrast that with another scene where there's another time there's this poor widow. They're in the temple. And there's the offering box. And people are coming forward and they're giving this offering. And, and it happens to be that Jesus is observing and and, and we're told that this, this poor lady puts in two small coins. Others put in a greater monetary amount. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he makes a comment on it. And he says, you know, see that lady? She gave more than all the rest. Because I imagine the disciples are like me, like, no, she didn't, Lord. She just threw in two, like two yen. But he then explains, right, because she gave, you know, others gave out of their abundance, but she gave all that she had. It was an act of faith. It wasn't the amount, the alabaster jar that was broken out was super expensive, but it was an act of faith. The lady, it was, it's not the, it's not the, the, the material content. When we come to the Lord, man, we're to give by faith to worship by faith, to sacrifice by faith. And by the way, I think those examples provide for us this other note that when we do so, you know, to give by faith then means we have no expectation of return. It's just, it's just one direction. It, it's an act of love and an act of appreciation, an act of devotion. And, and I wanted to camp here for a bit as the Lord was stirring my heart because I think at least for me again, and hopefully this resonates with you, I think one of the biggest areas of our life, our life of faith, where our faith can flourish, where it can grow, or where our faith can become stagnant, or it can diminish even, it's in our worship. It's in the realm of, of our giving. Giving of our time, or giving of our talents, or giving of our treasures. And all of those categories, and I, and, I, and I believe they're all acts of worship, right? It's an expression of our worship. And this is one of those areas of our faith where 
it can either grow and flourish, we can be challenged by it, or we can shrink back or it can just begin to go inward. Because often the lesson of faith is one that's learned through the wallet. I think for me it was one of the first areas in my Christian life where I came to a crossroads. It was a test of faith. Like, can I, can I trust the Lord with my finances? Even that question I don't believe is genuine because ultimately it's not really even my finances, right? It's not really ours. It's, it's all God's. He just happens to, to bless you with, uh, you know, His resources they're his that he's given to you to steward. Gang, I wrestled a little bit of, uh, about this and talking about this because it's not an e- easy area for me to discuss because, you know, I have seen like you so much abuse from churches and ministers who, who seem to make every scripture and every passage about money and getting money and, you know, they twist and turn it and certainly never want to badmouth the Lord or present ourselves in such a way or myself in such a way. Right? I, I think it's dishonoring of God and it's dishonoring of the church to present the Lord as though He's broke you know, and needs our money. But yet at the same time, the Bible has a lot to say about our worship and our giving as an act of faith. You know, we talked, uh, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, about the rich young ruler. Now he comes to the Lord, he wanted to follow Jesus, and, and he had all the right things to say, all the religious things, and he checked those boxes. He says, oh yeah, I, I, I've done all those things. And Jesus kind of looked at him and said, okay buddy, here's the one thing that you lack. Go sell all your stuff, take that money, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. You remember that account, if you know that account, that he didn't do that. It says that he left grieved, he was bummed because, and here's the reason why, he had a lot of stuff. He didn't want to get rid of it. He's more attached to his things. He was unwilling to trust God with his finances and for God to provide for him. Our source of faith is revealed by what we worship and what we value. And so looking at what Abel did and what he brought to the Lord as an act of worship, as an act of giving, let me just ask a couple of questions that we can ponder upon. Are we trusting God? Are you trusting the Lord in your life with your finances? Or let me just broaden it. Just the areas of your life that have the greatest value. Because it's not just finances. It's our time. It's our energy. It's our hearts. Those things that you give great value to. That you treasure. And how do we know Like where... where what are we worshiping? What are we giving to? I, you look at your calendar, you can start there. Like, what are you giving your time to? What fills this white space in your calendar? Or your social media? What, what's captured your attention? 
your interests, the things that you like or repost, that you save or you pin? Or our bank statements? To who or to what are we spending money on? And when was the last time that you trusted the Lord to provide for you and not relied upon your credit card or maybe the fact that you had money in the bank or that you had resources to do that or that you didn't rely upon a family member? That you, as an act of faith, said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. Maybe, maybe the Lord wants you or maybe a loved one to learn to trust His provision in that maybe you wouldn't become the default rescuer to the situation. That maybe you've become the enabler to somebody in your life and, and God wants them to trust Him in that arena of their life. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. We read then, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, testifying, God testifying of his gifts. What does it mean that Abel obtained witness? Or by what means did God declare him righteous? Can you understand that, that our worship or our giving doesn't produce righteousness? Right? Our worship and our giving, it's a response of faith from a right standing that God has provided. It's how our flesh is, or excuse me, it's how our faith is fleshed out, if you will. How it's demonstrated, how it's seen. In other words, Abel's sacrifice, when he brought the sacrifice, it was an outward expression of his own personal obedience and love and devotion and faith in God. It wasn't he brought it, and now, because what he brought, he now could be declared righteous. Right? You and I, we cannot rely upon any works that we do, that we offer, any acts of worship as, as a means to, to make us acceptable to God. The Bible says that your righteousness and mine, it's like filthy rags before the Lord. We will never make ourselves righteous before the Lord by what we bring to the Lord. By the way, that, that, that's what religion teaches. Right? Do those things. Make these sacrifices. If you do enough, if you give enough, if you're good enough, if you can add to your uh, good works account and it overtakes your bad things account, or you can tip the scales and God will accept you. That's not the gospel. How has he obtained witness that he was righteous? It wasn't based upon what he was bringing. It was how he was bringing it. By faith. You and I are accepted because of what Christ has done and by our faith in Christ. If Abel pleased God by the sacrifices he brought to him, it was because Abel brought them by faith. And the writer's going to make that commentary for us in verse 6. Because without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. So we worship and we serve and we give and we come and we attend. All of it by faith. 
as a response to who God is and what God has done. And so again, let me pause for a moment and just ask a question. How about you? Are you trying to earn God's favor by your sacrifices? Are you trying to do these things thinking, oh man, I'm out of favor with God, so I make sure I, I do enough to put my, you know, get me in the plus column and out of the minus column? Gang, that's not the gospel. Why would we even come for worship? Why would we even serve? Why do we even give? Why do we even give of our time, or our talents, or our treasures. It's not that we come to earn God's favor. That doesn't make you righteous. It's a response. It's a response of faith, of love and obedience to the Lord. I mean, us being here, it should be an act of faith and devotion. If you're here for any other reason, it's unacceptable to the Lord. He's not pleased by that. And then we read that last part of that verse. It says, and through it. You notice it says, by faith, right? By faith, Abel offered to God. And then the idea through which, so it's by faith then he obtains a witness that he's righteous. And by faith, through it. Through what? Well, by faith. He being dead still speaks. You know, although Abel isn't standing here with us to give us his testimony personally. His act of faith to God some thousands of years ago, it still speaks truth to our heart today. And here's the point I want to make from this. You know, trusting God by faith, when we trust the Lord by faith in our giving, in our worship, in our finances, in our time, it provides this lasting testimony, this example for others to be encouraged and to follow. The older that I'm getting, the more that I'm thinking about the legacy that I'm going to live, leave behind. You know, it's been said, it's not the valuables that you leave behind but it's the, that will have the most impact, but it's the values that you leave behind. Abel's life arguably was short. He was wrongly murdered. We we might say his life was taken too soon. It's not fair. But in the years that God gave him, he worshiped the Lord by faith. And he gave to God by faith. And though he died, and maybe we'd say he would die young, It serves as an encouragement for us and an innumerable or innumerable many others who have read his story. The Bible says that none of us are promised tomorrow. The idea that we have an appointment with death and guess what? You're going to make that appointment. You might be late for other things, but you'll make your appointment with death. But what legacy do you want to leave behind? What, what story do you want to leave behind? We talked about that last week, didn't we? The testimony. I mean, do we want to be known as a person or a family or a church 
that loved the Lord and worshiped God and gave and trusted, Lord, that we, that we trusted God in those areas of value of our time and our talents and our resources. That we trusted Him and we lived according to that in obedience. Or do we have another story that we didn't trust the Lord? So we hoarded things and we were, you know, we, we weren't generous. And Abel leaves a, a very convicting witness for us to, to consider these areas where we haven't been trusting God in our giving. The giving of our time and the giving of our talents and the giving of our treasures. Again, this morning as we have this time of communion, that'd be good for us just to take a couple moments and pray and ask the Lord just to search our hearts. Some of these questions that I've posed to you. And if there's areas where you and I are convicted, that's good. Areas that maybe we haven't been trusting the Lord by faith, been relying upon our own calculations and our own savings plan and our, our own budgeting and where we've gone inward in our time and inward in our you know, our talents and our abilities. Have we been giving to the Lord by faith, trusting the Lord in each of those areas? God gave us his very best in Jesus Christ. He did not hold back. And our response to that is an act of faith to worship the Lord, to trust God and to give back what he has so graciously given to us. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and as we're doing that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come and the ushers to prepare for communion. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. As we consider this one verse, as we travel back in time to the beginning of time with Abel and Cain, Lord, help us to be those that sons and daughters that come to you by faith. Lord, that would trust you in these areas of our life, these areas that we, we have great value. We, we value and we treasure tremendously. And Lord, sometimes because we value it, we can, we can guard it to the place where we are being greedy. We're being selfish. We're not trusting you. And Lord, I trust by your spirit that you'd speak to our hearts and in some of these areas of our life that, Lord, we would step out in faith to trust you with these things that we value tremendously. And so often it, it, it is just even our money, our finances, which really isn't ours, Lord. It belongs to you. you just, you've given it to us to steward. Lord, as we were reminded a couple weeks ago and even today that sometimes it's those things that it reminds, it, it reveals to us what, our, what we're placing our trust in. And so, Lord, I, I pray we would step out in faith to know that you're good, you're faithful, 
Lord, and we, and we thank you that it's, it's not so much the what it is, the amount of it, or the, the value in itself. It, it's, it's our hearts that you're interested in. To trust you. Lord, help us to do that and to realize it, it, it serves as a great testimony to the people around us. What our spouses may be encouraged by, what our children would see of, of mom and dad as they're trusting you, Lord, with our finances, with our time, with our talents and how we serve you. Lord, we know that your math is funny. We can't outgive you. And so, Lord, by faith, may we worship you with all that we are and with all that we have. Lord, you, you gave us your very best when you gave us Christ. And as we have this time of communion, Lord, we pray you'd search our hearts now. As we partake of the bread to remember your body broken for us, as we partake of the cup to remember your blood that was shed for us, that you've made us your own, and that we're to walk by faith, to worship as a response of faith all that you've done. We don't earn that. We don't deserve it. And so, Lord, we give you this time now. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. All right, church family, I think most of you know the reason.